Flow Dance Academy, you'll find a positive and safe environment for movers of all ages. We welcome and respect all dance and yoga lovers and include all body shapes, experience levels, genders, sexualities, races and religions. We offer classes in Hatha Yoga, Preschool Dance, Junior and Senior Level Ballet, Jazz, Contemporary, Hip Hop, Musical Theatre and also Flow Fusion for advanced to professional dancers combining neoclassical, lyrical, jazz and contemporary dance. Contact us at Flow Dance Academy to book your free trial in Christchurch. Come join us, be who you want to be, embrace it and let it flow. Welcome to the Different Kind of Human Project, where we talk to people who are neurodiverse, diverse and just plain different. This is a space to celebrate diversity and hear from people who are intentionally living outside the box of society's constraints. In this show, we talk to Frances Caldwell about her experience as someone with a creative calling and someone with a diagnosed specific learning difference. We also discuss her experiences as part of the rainbow community, including having been in the first civil union or indeed any kind of legal union made between two women in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Welcome to the show, Frances. Thank you. So I've introduced you as someone who has a creative calling and as someone who's diagnosed with specific learning difference. Um, can you tell me a little bit about one of those? Uh, which came first for you? Which awareness came first, the creativity or the sense that you're a different kind of human? Um, <laughs> I don't know that any, probably a sense of being different is probably the only thing that was that made any any sense to me as a child. Um, I don't think I had any sense that I was creative or any sense that I had a name for being different. Um, what did being different feel like? Um, hard to relate to what other people were interested in and um, hard to connect with people, I think. Yeah, yeah. just feeling really in my own bubble and... Yeah. So what was childhood like? Um, it, well, I, I, funnily enough, I don't have very many memories of my childhood. I've got quite a vague sense of it. Um, I just, yeah, remember living in a kind of misty bubble that everything was confusing and didn't make sense to me. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't that I had a, um, a dreadful... Um, violent upbringing or anything like that. I just, yeah, I felt, I felt like I didn't know what was going on most of the time. I felt quite isolated. Didn't know, didn't understand what was going on. And I don't think my parents, I don't think they had any idea um, about um, specific learning disabilities or anything of that kind. I do remember them taking me to a psychologist as a child, but um, they, they actually. Don't remember that themselves now, so um, I don't know what the outcome of that was. But um, yeah, anyway, I um, I struggled at school um, for the first two or three years. I I picked up nothing whatsoever. I um, I couldn't read, couldn't do maths, couldn't do anything, and I found school really traumatic and horrible. Um, and it, it wasn't until because I was. Uh, uh, we were living in England and we moved 
to New Zealand when I was six and it wasn't until I went to a school in Ashburton actually that um, it was a Catholic school and there was an elderly nun and she took me to one side and said there's never been a kid I can't teach to read and she, <laughs> so she taught me to read. So when I was seven I, I learnt to read, yeah. Um, but I didn't get a diagnosis of having a specific learning disability until I was um, in my 30s. And you call it a disability. Has it felt like it's been a disability? Yeah. Yeah, it does feel. It does feel like it is. Um, I guess there there are ways that it could be looked at as in a positive light, but it's it's been a, the way that my life gels with how the world operates, it's been a, a disability. Yeah, and so I was wondering about that, where the concept of a social disability, that it's the world around us that disables us when we have a difference. And how have you found the world doing that? Um, I... Oh, it goes too fast. <laughs> and it expects people to, it expects people to be organised and understand what's happening whereas I struggle with overstimulation like there's just too much happening all around me all the time and it's really hard to make sense a lot of the time of what's going on and I, I've certainly got much better at it as I've got older. Um, you gotten better at making the world work around you or gotten better at actually processing things? I don't think I've probably a bit of both. I think I've put a lot of effort into trying to to use parts of my brain that all make sense and process the world um, in the way that's socially acceptable. But I, um, yeah, I can't. Sorry, I can't remember the rest of the question. That's all right. <laughs> I was just wondering whether you had been able to um, have some kind of agency around how the world is. Um, as we get older, we often do. You sort of at school, you're pretty much vulnerable to how the school operates and don't have an awful lot of agency. Mm. Um, and then as we grow to be adults, and you, know, you and I are in our fifties now, we um, we get an awful lot more agency in the world, or we try to get some. Uh, in what ways have you been able to get some agency in how the world operates? I mean, things like where you live, what you do during your day, who you interact with, who you don't interact with financial things, um, in, in what way have you been able to get some agency that's helped with this? Um, I've definitely have, I've, I've learnt, I've learnt, I've learnt how to operate in the world and I've learnt a lot how to fake it, I guess. Um, I've learnt how to be organised in a really specific way in specific workplaces. Um, I've learnt how to manage financial stuff. Um, I I had no idea of money for decades. Like it was just irrelevant to me. I was telling someone the other day that I um, in my th in my thirties, early thirties, um, I was paid a six thousand dollar check for some writing work that I did, and that was a lot of money. And it's a lot of money now, but it was a lot, even more, a lot of money twenty years ago. And I got paid this check. And um, and then I got a phone call six months later from the organisation that had paid me saying, have you, um, what happened to that cheque? It doesn't look like you've banked it yet. Um, 
were worried and, and I said, oh, I forgot all about it and I'd lost it. Hadn't even, like, just... And it wasn't like I had lots of money. I didn't, in fact, the complete opposite. I yeah. just, like, yeah, just fell out of my brain, really. Um, anyway, they kindly re... They cancelled the first check and re-did one for me. Um, and, yeah, I just... I just, yeah, I've had to learn, have to learn the value of money and how, how it works, really, the hard way. Um, yeah. Didn't pick up any of that stuff growing up. So that takes a measure of concentration and brain injury, uh, brain energy, brain mm. injury, I'm the one with the brain injury, brain <laughs> energy to uh, put in that direction mm-hmm. um, and take some out of your um, kitty of, of brain mm. energy. Uh, and so that's something you've put more focus on now. I heard you talking about masking, that faking it, mm. masking, um, trying to pass, um, I guess is more neurotypical or tip- neurotypical. Why? Um, I think particularly I've learned how to fake it socially um, because I wanted to connect with people. I felt lonely, so I had to learn, I had to teach myself how to, how to be social, how to have social skills. Okay, mm. so th- um, that makes sense. Is there any masking which is done because the neurotypical world has a culture and it has power and it has expectations and you feel that you might be rejected if you don't socially mask? Um, y- yes, I guess so. Um, I think... Like just thinking back to when I, I was aware that I, I didn't have social skills and I needed to have them, if I wanted to not. I think it was for me. It was I don't want to feel lonely. I want to be able. I want to have friends and connections. I don't want to. Yeah, because I know quite a lot of neurodiverse people who are really neurodiverse in their behaviour, um, who have friends and are accepted and don't socially mask. So I'm wondering why the masking was necessary in order to have the friendships. This episode of the Different Kind of Human Project is sponsored by Flow Dance Academy Christchurch. You're listening to the Different Kind of Human Project, Plains FM 96.9. Friendships are really important. And like you, I think I masked for an awful long time and I was exhausted by it. And in the end, I guess the quality of the friendships wasn't, they weren't my tribe, um, but I wasn't lonely. I had people around me. And in later years, I've actually unmasked more and found my tribe and they are mostly neurodiverse and some really funky cool neurotypical people i'm wondering have you found your tribe who are your kind of people that you vibe with um yeah i don't have problems making friendships these days um i do get tired by social interaction like really tired i have to be quite careful how I monitor it, and it feels like there's a real balance. I have to really carefully balance my life between having enough social interaction and having enough time to like recover. Um, 
And it's been helpful for me to um, learn more about being introverted as well. I I think I I swung from being incredibly insular and um, almost non-verbal in some ways um, to be, I mean, I was verbal, but I kind of chose not to talk to people a lot of the time because I found it really stressful and confusing. Um, But I... Then I sort of swung the other way and I became very, very chatty and sociable and I think I sort of burnt myself out a bit with that. So, yeah. Um, have I found my tribe? I, I find I get on well with people that we have common interests. Um, I mean, I can talk to anybody. I've kind of, I guess I've, I've learnt the art of chatting uh, it doesn't come easily, but yeah, the people that I really connect to, we have some common interests and and yeah, and they're, they're not judgmental. I guess that brings us to the other part of this conversation, which is the creative you. Mm. And so are some of those people part of your creative community? I know that you've found um, various people that you're creative with over the years of your life mm. and um, you were very much brought up in a sort of scientific kind of household and have found your way across to art and creativity. Can you tell me a little bit about that, finding your way across and some of the people that you now interact with? Um, yeah, so my um, my parents wanted me to follow in their footsteps and do study science, which I did, but I was particularly bad at it and kind of failed really spectacularly when I got to university but it um and then I kind of fell into journalism which is actually quite a creative um industry even though people might not think it is um and I think my forte was in creative not creative writing per se, but um, create. I think they would call it these days. They, there's a name for it: creative nonfiction. Um, there was never a term for what I did and what I was good at, so it didn't really have a place for many years. But um, I see people now calling themselves. I'm a, I'm a creative nonfiction writer, and I go, ah, oh, yeah, that's that's my category. Were I to be still writing, but um, I did. I sort of burnt myself out writing for money um, and doing, yeah, doing stuff that that wasn't really a passion project um, and, and working for deadlines and working at all hours. and um, But alongside all of that, I was really into performing. Um, I was into theatre and I did a lot of, a lot of, theatre stuff in Auckland particularly um, and I yeah I really made I made some great friends and connections there and also I really I think when I first, I went to journalism school um, in my early 20s and that was the first time ever that people actually wanted to be like they 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 actually approached me, they liked me and they wanted me to be friends with them. Whereas in the past I'd always felt like the odd person out and almost every... I'd had friends at school and I'm still friends with them. But apart from that little small group, um, everywhere else I'd gone and every other um, 
avenue I felt like I there was a yeah I had to make a huge effort if I wanted to connect with people but yeah with in the in journalism people wanted to know me and I wasn't even doing anything and then in theatre stuff that was kind of the same as well and um but I've I've burnt myself out in almost everything (laughs) I've done so I don't even have the energy to do performance anymore even if I wanted to um, and the latest thing that's come up for me creatively after 10 years of trying to be um, like a real proper person working a 40 hour job with lots of responsibility and organised you know management and and stuff you know people have actually literally said to me I can't believe you've got a real job but I I'd, I'd actually faked it quite well for 10 years and then I just spectacularly burnt out and the thing that saved me um, has been uh, visual art so I, I went to art school um, and I've, I've particularly um, making jewellery has become something that, that I really love and it's really it feeds my brain as opposed to uh, chewing it up which most of the rest of life seems to do. So it actually gives you energy. Mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really calming. Um, it, I feel, yeah, I feel um, en- energised isn't quite the right word, but I, I feel fed, I feel nurtured by doing it. Mm. Now you've actually got some jewellery on that I know you've made. Can you tell me a little bit about the pieces of jewellery that you've got on at the moment? Sure. Uh, so my necklace, um, it's... it's my- <laughs> Um, it's it's actually made of an alloy called shibuchi, which was um, I made the alloy myself when I was at the art school, um, and we were um, melting down scrap metal. So it's made of um, melted down copper and silver from old scraps that I had, and apparently shibuchi is a ancient Japanese alloy that they use for making um, samurai swords out of, which is kind of cool. It looks like it as well. It looks like a blade. <laughs> yeah, it does actually. And um, it was actually really hard. It's the first time I'd ever smelted stuff down and it was a really hot, heavy work. Um, and then you have to roll it out. And that was a really hard work too. And that's, anyway, I got this kind of jagged shit flat jagged shape which looks a bit like a sword shape and I I left I decided that that would make um I could make something out of that and then I somebody gave me some fossils um some old wooden fossils and I've yeah attached that to it and yeah it looks fantastic thank you and tell me about some rings. There's a ring I know because you've made one for me, which is a, a stimming ring, and I have one for my thumb. And being autistic, I do like to stim. And uh, so self-stimulatory behaviour and often repetitive ones. So there's that band. Mm. Is, is that copper? And that There's a copper band sitting within, totally free to move, within this wider ring. Yeah. There's, there's a dip. So this, this ring, it can't get out of it, that dip, can it? No. So how did you come up with that idea? Um, I was I was researching I was researching jewellery as part of my study, looking at things I'd like to make, and I came across they're called spinner rings, 
and I, for some reason I really, really, really wanted to try making one. And um, I've made about five or six of them now, um, all slightly different. But, yeah, the basic, um, they're basically, uh, well, this particular one that I'm wearing, it's, it's silver and it's flared at either end and then it's got um, t- t- a two brass and one copper ring in the middle of it and the, the copper ring moves. Some of them both, all, th- all three rings will move around um, and yeah, people that several people that that um, that like to stim have said that they would find that really useful. Mm. So people can find out about your jewellery on Francesca Bella on Instagram, uh, and your name's Francis, so that's Francis F R A N C E S, and it's all one word, and then C C A Bella Francesca Bella Francis C C A Bella on Instagram and see some of your jewellery, and also purchase uh, stim rings. So I want to, yes. Yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. Thank you so much for coming in and having this conversation. It's been really interesting to learn some of things, these things about you. I've known you for some time, and I've learned some new things today. Thank you. In this show, we talk to Frances Caldwell about her experience as someone with a creative calling and someone with a diagnosed specific learning difference. That brings us to the end of our programme. We hope you've enjoyed listening to our show. You can listen to the show again on the Plains FM website, Spotify, or on Apple's podcast platform. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. So bye for now. I'm Annie Southern. We look forward to having you with us for another show in a fortnight.